let me take you back to 2015 just for a second. Uh, I woke up one morning to uh, text on my phone and I clicked the link that my friend had sent and it linked to a seven and a half minute film that left an immediate and indelible mark on me um, for a couple reasons. One of which it was from someone that uh, I'd known, uh, a man named Ben Moon. If you're not familiar with Ben and his work, Ben's an adventure and lifestyle photographer. And we've been in the same industry for years and years and um, had paid our respect to one another through different um, venues and had some mutual friends. Um, But this particular video that I watched this morning in 2015 was about Ben's story beating cancer only to find that that his dog had subsequently um, uh, been diagnosed with cancer. And this video uh, was such an amazing little journey, a journey of Ben's, the support that his dog provided for Ben through his rough patch and then the flipping of those scripts uh, and and I watched that movie, that seven minute movie, so many times, and it brings me great joy to now, a number of years later, to finally have Ben on the show, not just to share his story of surviving cancer in his twenties, but uh, to have him share his life journey of, um, you know, growing up as a shy, introverted, uh, self-described nerdy kid. Um, to take a number of risks to sort of defy the odds and pursue his passion, um, which ultimately came as a photographer, something that he didn't realize early in his life was right there for him. And he talks about unpacking this passion and how he listened to his intuition to find himself as one of the top adventure sports photographers. Now some 18 or 20 years in, he's been featured in all the places you might expect, Patagonia and across the outdoor industry. Um, but this story today, our conversation with Ben, we do go back, you know, 15 or or so years. We know a lot of the same folks, so there's a great camaraderie and kinship. But his story of um, his battle with with rectal cancer, uh, colon cancer, and um, his relationship with his dog Denali um, is, is going to provide some insight and impact. So I'm going to stop talking, get out of the way, um, and let Ben Moon inspire you with his creativity, his entrepreneurship. Uh, and the challenge that he's faced in his life and how he's overcome them uh, to inspire us today. Um, Before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into the show with Ben. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I've got something to share. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. To that end, I've got a new book out, and it's called Creative Calling. It became an instant bestseller when it was released earlier this September. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect companion. I mean perfect because it takes the ideas we discuss here on the show and it organizes them. It takes my life of learning and studying creativity, talking to hundreds of the world's top creators in so many disciplines, and it organizes these ideas in a really clever and very practical way that I know will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So my ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or heck, 10. I'm not trying to be coy, but here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. You see, creativity is a force inside of every person. 
such that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. It's my belief that establishing a daily practice around creativity is therefore our most valuable and urgent task. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. Now, I've put everything I have into this book, everything. It's been 10 years in the making. Um, Just a couple words here from Richard Branson. He said, if you want to focus on creating amazing experiences, creating amazing businesses and relationships, Chase's book, Creative Calling, is an engaging guide to doing just that. Brene Brown said, Chase's experiences and his commitment to creating make him the perfect guide as we set out on our own adventures to learn how creativity has the power to change everything. Now, those reviews are just the tip of the iceberg, and you can read a couple hundred other five-star reviews on Amazon. But again, this isn't just about buying the book. It's about unleashing our most powerful force, our creativity. And I believe it's super important that as a community, we rally around ideas that we believe in. And so picking up a copy of Creative Calling, and more importantly, being a messenger for spreading this message, this is my ask of you. So thanks very much. And now let's get into today's show. Mr. Ben Moon, welcome, Ben. Thanks for being on, bud. Thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, yeah, great to finally get to chat. Yeah, um, we were we've run, we've run in parallel paths for a long time, so super long time, and the Pacific Northwest. I know that. Um, well, I'm a born and raised in Seattle, and I know that you are in Oregon right now, and have been for a long time. Is that your original? Like, are you OG Oregon, or uh, where else? Where, where's the where's home? I grew up in in the Great Lakes in Michigan. Um, I moved out here 21 years ago, so um, I've been here almost as long as I've been anywhere. So. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> that counts. Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to um, to share your story with the um, worldwide creative community in the best way that we can. And uh, one of the things that I often like to start off with, um, part of my mission is to bring new people to the light, but you've been, uh, we've been in the rather in the same industry for a long time. Um, your work is, you know, made its laps around the world, not just your photography, but, um, as I mentioned, the, the story, the, the, one of the films that you put out, I think you're the producer on the film, um, with, uh, uh, the Nolly that was the precursor to the book, but let's go back before that and, um, give me a little bit of, a a life background, you know, starting off in Michigan and, and early childhood to, um, to moving out, uh, to Oregon so we can orient the world and, uh, provide a couple of new hits for the people who are familiar with your work. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Michigan and, uh, you know, uh, definitely, um, had no aspirations of being a adventure photographer or anything, any part of my life that is now. Um, you know, I was a, uh, more of a nerdy kid, um, the scrawny guy that got picked on on playground kind of thing. Um, and in college, uh, I started rowing crew and, um, interestingly enough, that was my first experience with the Pacific Northwest. Um, we were a smaller, I mean, we took, um, a, a group of smaller guys like myself. I mean, I'm only, I think I was maybe closer to 180, um, six foot when I um, was rowing crew and, um, we went out to the nationals and, and that year the university of Washington crew won the, won the nationals and we were in the four. Um, and so here we are walking around a bunch of small guys with all these like giant 210 pound beasts, you know? Um, and it was so cool to see UW 
win and against all the Ivy League schools and just there, I just there's something about there was a big difference. I just saw something different and amongst that crew. And then you know, it was interesting. Like you know, 15 years later to um, read Boys in the Boat and kind of hear the backstory of that crew and you know start to having lived out in the Northwest for now 20 plus years um, to see how, why that was, why there was such a difference. And um, I really appreciate, you know, the Northwest. And I remember having a, an outside magazine adventures guide to the Pacific Northwest or something like that being in Michigan. And just all I, all I could think about is like the mountains are bigger, the ocean's bigger. I was climbing in a gym um, in college. That's when I kind of got first got the spark. And as soon as I quit rowing, I dropped like 10 pounds of muscle in my legs and was able to climb a lot better <laughs> because the crew just gives you giant legs and everything. And so, um, I, I got that bug hard. And so the first time I, you know, climbed the, at Smith rock, it just blew my mind. Um, and you know, visually that place is stunning. And I would say Smith and, you know, the Sierra East side, um, really were the two places that sparked just uh, a love for the visual, you know, like the, the light and the, the light play and the seasons and how I just remember a trip to Bishop. I had my first camera. I think I was working at the Nike climbing gym at the time and my manager, it was his birthday. So he's like, you're not working your, you're not teaching your lesson tonight. Cause I was teaching climbing there. He's like, we're going to Bishop and we drove all night and showed up and, it was in March. And so the Sierras were, you know, covered in snow, the, the white mountains to the, to the East were covered in snow and, and the light was something I'd never seen. And obviously, you know, Galen Rowell and many others have been inspired by the range of light. But, um, those are some of the first photographs I ever took that I was like, well, there's something here. But the first time I slapped one of those photos on, um, uh, my friend, uh, Brooke, uh, Brooke Sandall from Metolius, his, his light table, um, he, he was like, please don't take ever take a photo of um, Iron Man Traverse again, because I've seen thousands of photos of that, of that climb. Um, but it's such a, you know, it was such a low hanging fruit and it was like what sparked, sparked me. So, man, so early, early, um, in no original connection to photography. It was actually the landscape and the light and what your friends were doing. How'd you get that first camera? What was the, your, your following of that passion? Um, I had like a Yashica T4. I was on a climbing trip. Uh, actually I was helping Tony and Nero, an old climbing legend, teach climbing classes at, at, um, a climbing gym in Portland. And he invited me on a trip to the needles in the Sierra, um, South of Yosemite. And Jim Thornburg was the photographer on that shoot. And I just remember watching him work and I, um, ended up one of the photos that he took on that, on that, um, trip, he was published in climbing magazine full page. And it was just so cool to watch a photographer work. And, and, and I love Jim's work still because he would always show how the line goes all the way down to the belayer. Like there's a way of perspective that like the vanishing point falls away to the belayer at the ground and you see the entire route and there's a beauty in like climbing in the line and, um, the movement and, so I was really inspired by that. And it was about, I think around 2000 when um, a lot of the newspapers were starting to dump their film gear. And I got my first, uh, I think it was a Nikon N90S, um, bought it from like Pro Photo in Portland and was calling one of my friends who 
uh, knew a little bit about photography and asking them what to get. And, um, I didn't, I don't know why I bought that. It was like, it was this weird, um, intuition. And I mean, intuitions led me into some crazy places in life, but, um, I bought that and went through a bunch of challenging experiences, divorce. And, you know, I was really young. I was 23 when I got married and, um, just, you know, photography kind of like helped draw me out of that experience and, um, living in the Metolius parking lot, um, in the back of a Subaru wagon and then getting a camper van. And then just, I never planned to be a photographer. That was the thing. It just kind of happened. That's the best, that's the best stuff in life though. And, you know, you mentioned intuition. I want to go there for a second, but like this, the same, virtually the same thing is true from every great photographer that I know. So few were like hook, line and sinker early as a kid. And they grew up shooting that high school newspaper. And I don't really know anybody whose story is that sort of storybook. It's all a series of random events. For me, my grandfather died and he was a camera nerd and, and you know, like the photo companies loved him because he bought all the new shit when it came out and he passed away the week before my college graduation. And I suddenly was given all these cameras. I'm like, Oh, cool. Well, this, you know, is a sign from the universe and you know, your story, uh, mine, and, and it seems like, um, so many photographers have just ended up there and that, um, through either watching another photographer as I did my grandfather, and as you did, you know, some of the other greats that you mentioned, Jim and <clears throat> Galen Rowell. Um, so like clearly you mentioned intuition and, you know, you, you don't know why you went and bought that N90. Um, but there was something in you that was, that was talking to you. And so rather than, you know, why do we trust our intuition, um, or all of the sort of the tactical questions, what did you hear? What, what did you feel? Why, you know, how, how did you know it was intuition? This is something I've been obsessed with and uh, I'm trying to uh, hear from as many smart people as I can. Like, what did it sound like when you, you knew you had to buy a camera? You know, intuition is a funny thing. Cause it's, um, it's a lot of, someone asked me the other day at a book reading um, and I, it stuck with me. It's like, he's like, so how, how did a kid from a small town, Michigan community that lived off the grid end up where you are today? Like, like, just tell me how that happened. And I was like, well, it's a long series of a little light going off or like seeing a door with just a little bit of light streaming through it. And that the, the hinges might be rusty and, you know, it's not like the door's just like swinging open and there's big bay doors just like being like, Oh, bird singing and that doesn't happen (laughs) no you don't you don't get this like invitation of like you know a big choir chorus like singing you praises telling you to come in it's like you see some little glimmer of light and you just kind of keep going towards it and it's 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 a combination of that and you know seeing an opportunity and not saying no and and allowing um or just really just following that little gut even though everything everything is fighting against you. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, it, it's just, it won't, won't let go. And, and it takes effort. You know, you have to, you have to go towards that and, and, and just keep following that. And, and it's a series of little, you know, just little sparks that kind of eventually catch fire. Um, but it, it's not something you can, 
it's not something you can just ignore and it goes away. It'll burn out, you know, like the opportunities pass all the time and you just have to decide which ones to take, you know, and, and I learned, you know, the hard way that saying no is also one of the most powerful things we can possibly do, you know? And, um, so really it's like, I mean, it still happens every day. It was like when I made that film about my dog, um, Denali, it was a lot of my mentors and my most trusted peers were telling me, Ben, you know, your dog passed, give it up. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, cause there was a long, long road to make that film. We tried a few different edits and we tried, um, we tried a lot of things and, and, you know, I finally, I was like, something is making me want to share this. There's something, and the only way I'm going to do it and tell my own story is if it's universal and there's something that other people can relate to. And, and fast forward to like, you know, four or five years later, writing the book was a much deeper dive into that. And I mean, I never had an aspiration to be a writer either, but it just, there's something about that story I knew could possibly help others. And I was like, if it can help one person and even like help one person go in and get checked out for colon cancer, like it'll be worth it, you know? And so it's like, and, and that film was, you know, first day was 5,000 views. The second day was a million. And then outside, like, I don't know, I have no idea how many views, uh, 20 million or something, uh, at this point, but a lot of people have been touched by that story. And, and so it just, it was just a re affirmation that, you know, intuition when it's, when it's screaming, you better just listen, you know? I like the the characterization of it's like you're kind of like shucking and jiving a little bit. You hear something, you take a step towards it. Um, it might not be the right thing, but you made you know some forward progress. And also the maybe rusty, <laughs> no no choirs singing, no birds chirping. Um, and there's this process of learning to trust yourself. Have you, um, if if we look through the lens of intuition, is learning to trust yourself. Um, you cited the film as an example. Is that the was that your real first and most powerful um, experience of learning to trust that voice, or did you had you had other hints of it earlier in life? Um, well, even yeah, even going with getting the camera. Um, I mean, you know, I had no idea what where that would lead. You know, it was just like, and it was back then. It was you know slide film, which was horribly unforgiving you know you're a third of a stop off and <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean i love velvia i mean people i still love the just the feel of some of those old films um but i learned from library books and you know i didn't have youtube or you know a digital camera back or an iphone to give me feedback and so it was just a lot of expensive mistakes and um but yet that that led us, you know, that weird little intuition sent made me send two sheets of slides to Patagonia. And I didn't know why nobody told me, Oh, you shouldn't do that. They're too big. I just did it one day. And, you know, they, I sent 40 slides in, they held four. And then, and then the next summer they published two and it was, and a few of my friends were like, Oh, maybe you could do this as a career. And I just thought they were crazy at first, but it, you know, it was, it was that little spark. And there's so many, you know, like Jimmy Chin and so many others have heard, had that thing, same thing where it's like, whoa, somebody paid me for a photo. Like, this is amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah. You're like but, looking but... around going like, when are they going to find out that I have this one camera and this one lens? And I only took like 32 pictures last year and yeah. two of them are in the Patagonia catalog. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So I think that was, you know, nobody, everybody's like, how did you do that? I was like, I just did it. You know, I looked it up and at the time and all the catalogs had the email address to send things there, the, you know, address to send in submissions to you. And, um, it was just back then it was old school, you know, she just slides and, um, my van was my little mobile 
mobile like labs i would just you know print labels and scan the slides i'd send in and um but it yeah that that was like one of my first indications i think career-wise that you know it's like just kind of take one step to another and you know there's another experience on i went to Kauai. it was my first time in the hawaiian islands and um you know patagonia's supposed to send me a bunch of samples and i I didn't have any. And so I, but that trip was this weird thing. I was like, visually that place was stunning to me. And especially with, you know, those films we were shooting back in the day. Um, I, I knew I needed to make some content. So I ordered a bunch of clothes and, you know, ordered a water housing. My, I think I had an F 100 at the time and that camera died. I had to buy another one. And I was just going into debt, which at the time was heavy. You know, the first couple of years of shooting or, you know, you're not making any money living off like five, $10,000 a year. And, um, so going in, you know, 10 grand in debt was a big deal. Um, but something about that trip, like I was like, I need to keep pushing, I need to create content. And, and if it fails, I'm done. And it, you know, Patagonia used those photos for a decade, you know, and it paid off. Um, but so it's, it's cool to like, look back on some of those things and, and reading the book was, or writing the book was an, a, quite an experience and like a lot of checks of, on like, wow that happened that was challenging and that was one of the worst experiences of my life but it brought this growth and um, especially right now i'm trying to remember that you know because we're going through some wild times right now but yeah for sure um i want to circle back and talk a little bit more about some of the things you just mentioned in the answer to that question but since you brought it up uh we are in crazy times right now um you know there was 10 years where eight years rather where this was a live show and then we took it off live because we wanted to you know three X the output and used to have a big in studio audience and the big production. And then we opted for volume. And now here we are back. Um, I'm downstairs in my, um, television studio down here and my little, I guess, theater room. And, um, you're, you're on the, uh, in your van, I think you're building the house. Um, was there, uh, you know, here we are in strange times. Um, anything come to mind that is, you know, that is, struck you um as particularly prescient right now like what's um what has this pandemic brought forward for you well one thing i've learned over and over is you know positive change often comes at a cost you know comes at a cost and it also comes with some pain and you know this is already economically and health wise and you know the loss of life is it's very obvious what this is cause and it's just obviously starting in this country um but it's you know it's bringing out the best and the worst in people and and that's what challenging experiences do and you know it's it's going to be a ride and um but it's already been really affirming to just feel and see you know the first couple of weeks were just you know pretty crushing anxiety and, you know, just try not to get on the, you know, stuck on the news cycles. And, um, now, you know, now I feel like there's, there's hope and people are bonding together and, um, being innovative and resourceful. And, you know, I, I found that the most challenging experiences require us to dig at the deepest within ourselves, um, and cause the most introspection and reflection. And, and I kind of liken it a little bit to the, you know, pruning fruit trees or whatnot you know it's like it it feels awful to like cut these beautiful branches off of a tree that's you know producing fruit but when you do and you prune it back to what is very essential and we need the most and here we are stuck at home we can't go anywhere 
what do we really need in life, you know? And for me right now, I, I miss hugs. I mean, the only hugs I get right now from my dog. And so it's, <laughs> you know, it's just so weird to like just, you know, foot bump or elbow bump with someone, you know? Yeah. It's so, a far cry from a good old hug. Yeah. Um, so in that context, um, my understanding is that you're actually, you're building a home there in, uh, in Oregon and the background that we're looking at is the wall inside your, your van where you're living, while you're building that. Is that, um, has the COVID changed that at all or made you more grateful, scarier because of the economic investment that you're making or what, what's the net toll of your current focus, which seems to be building the house? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, the, the social isolation front, I mean, I definitely am being a kid who was like really shy growing up and, and a pretty sensitive individual. I tended to have my recharge time and I need that for creativity and for just human and just for my own self, um, uh, just keep my bandwidth health, you know, just, I know my own limits. Um, but the irony is, is like, you know, Northwest winters, I tend to go inward and like try to kind of take stock of everything and we just hit spring and we're just kind of like the days you know we had a couple just gorgeous weeks amazing surf um and i was just kind of feeling like i was coming out of that winter and ready to come out come out of the den you know (laughs) and then it felt like some somebody was hanging out outside my den just being like no go back inside and i was like no i I want some sunshine right now (laughs) um but yeah the economical you know obviously the economic hit is scary it's scary yeah it's like you know you have three months of gigs canceled in a week you know you're just like oh well that's how do i be resourceful and how do i make this happen and um but i it's been interesting because you know i wrote most of the book sitting right where i'm sitting in the van i've got a you know it was a lot of that was just looking out at checking waves and writing and then you know kind of going this routine you know i i feel really fortunate to live across street from the beach and you know, in this time right now, it's still that nothing's really changed about that. I still walk and just stare at the ocean because that always resets me. Um, and we're still, I'm still making progress in the house. It's, it's all framed and dried in and, you know, the roof's on. And so I figured that, you know, if I have to stop right now for a minute, it's, it's okay. You know, um, the van's comfortable, but I'll, I'll, we're going to get through this. And it's like, it's a, we're the thing about this is in our lifetimes. I mean, and unless you're over, 75 and experienced world war ii like nobody in our we've never experienced anything like this globally ever you know and so it's we're all in this together and and that can bring some beautiful things it's going to be really challenging but i think there's a lot of beauty to find in that too yeah i love that perspective and i think it's so different than a 9-11 or even the the financial crisis of 2008 like you said there's been nothing like this since you know world war ii or the the, you know the pandemic in 20 1918 where it truly is global everybody's impacted we all have to play a role in the solution um and and show up for one another i'm i'm hopeful as hell that um, there's more good coming out of this than we can see at the present moment because like you said like people are dying and governments are struggling and the economy is tanking and there's so many things that it's easy to throw throw darts at but it's you know there's this there's got to be this silver lining and so i'm constantly looking for that. Is there some, you know, for the folks you you mentioned being scared, I think that's a really appropriate word. Um, It just makes a ton of sense. I think a lot of people can identify with that. And 
um, that vulnerability that we all feel. Uh, is there anything in particular that you're doing to stave that off? Um, like a, any um, anything besides looking at the ocean? Because that is obviously some good medicine. Um, what else? Any, anything else you're working on? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, from what I know about you is like you're really interested in morning routines as well. And I think that's one thing that I've been really trying to be conscious of, um, especially, you know, especially being having so much bad news or like heavy news, like available to us right now. And, you know, I, I find that I try not to get on, you know, the news or Twitter early on in the morning and, you know, try not to digest too much of that because it, it, it'll just send you in a downspin, but instead getting up and, um, I, I like the headspace app a lot, even if it's just a 10 minute meditation to like, just take some deep breaths and clear my mind. It just really changes my entire day. And, and then, I find if I can just get moving, cause it's like the anxiety can be paralyzing, you know, it, it can really, it, it, it's a big, it's, it's real, you know, and, and as someone who has battled with anxiety and depression in my past, it's like, it's, I, I'm very aware of when it's, when I feel it like creeping in. And so it's like, I, I know I need that time to move my body, you know, get, get exercise, get out for a run, go for a surf if I can. I mean, right now it's a little bit more challenging with, you know, um, just all the lockdowns and stuff, but it's like trying to get outside and do the best I can. And, and also just call a friend, you know, like if you're thinking of somebody check in with them, um, because they're, they probably need, need to hear from you. So. Oh, all super good advice. Um, want to give a shout out to a lot of folks coming in from all over the place. We got Kim and Victor and Hawken and Jorben and Frank and Jeff and Joan and, uh, from all different corners of the globe. Um, so a lot of people giving you a shout out, um, specifically commenting on your film Denali and of course your most recent book. So uh, to in order to honor the, all those requests that are coming from all over the world, I want to shift gears, um, say thanks for sharing what you're doing in these crazy times, um, but talk a little bit about uh, some amazing creative successes that you've had. Um, first with... Um, the film and maybe you can chronicle uh, a little bit about what that film's about that short film that made the tours on all the, all the festivals and then segue from the film as basis for the book. Um, uh, and then to, to writing a book, I'm dying to hear what you have to say about it. Having just written a book myself in the fall. And I don't, if it was anything like yours, it was so freaking hard for me. Um, just the discipline and the shifting gears and the, you know, working in a medium that I'm not familiar with. So let's start off by taking us back to, um, you mentioned earlier, you know, doing the film about your dog Denali and um, you surviving cancer and and them him getting cancer. Can you walk us through it and why you made the film? Yeah, as as a lot of things in life, it didn't really start out as. Um, I mean, it's a fairly simple film. You know, there's not a lot of camera tricks, and you know, we had a water housing, and that was about it. There's no drone photos. It's really simple footage, a lot of archival stuff, but basically uh, it started out there was a commercial project a really small little just fun um video that was going to be made um just kind of exploring initially i was going to explore my um love for the ocean and my love for climbing and kind of those that duality in the you know i i love the energy of being in a city but i also love being alone in nature and so i was we we're kind of thinking about exploring that and my friend skip armstrong who i'd met um 
who I'd met at uh, one of the film festivals and he'd just been so kind. And, you know, I think I had photos up in that film festival. Um, it was a smaller festival in, in Colorado, Five Point. Um, and I just remember seeing some of his films and seeing how emotionally moving they were. And we got to work together on an Emancipator mu- music video. So that was my first directorial thing. And so when this little project came up, Denali was in his last, kind of in his last, um, I knew he was in his last days. Um, he had stayed with me through a relationship. And when that came to a close, I told him, I was like, man, it's, it's okay. It's okay to go. And, and then while we were filming that little commercial project, um, Skip was like, Ben, I think we should film shift this into like you about you and your dog, because it, 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 um, it just feels like, you know, I see that bond between you and I, I just want to like, let's focus on that. And so he and my friend Paige, um, we just, film for a week and and we had really great weather it was like one of those high pressures we get here in the in the winter um and i i had a little another little talk with denali i was like hey man i know i said it was cool to go but can you just stick around for this month (laughs) and i mean the crazy thing is he honored that almost to the hour um he he just yeah he stuck around and he rallied and he was tired and i had to carry him during the filming we were at smith rock and here on the oregon coast where i live now and you know, we just, we made the most of it. And, um, and that footage, you know, it was like the week before he passed. And so it was really special to have that. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some failed edits and we tried to, we had a submission already for a festival, but it was too abstract. It was, it wasn't personal enough. It was very, it just kind of rang hollow. Um, and I realized you know, it, it was, I had to take responsibility for that because I wasn't ready to go there. And then I, I spent three months trying to edit the footage and couldn't do it. Another friend tried, he was too close to my story. Couldn't do it. And Ben Knight, um, he had finished that film damnation for, uh, Patagonia and he had worked on that for four years. So I was, he kept saying, I'll, I'll, I want to crack at it. I want to crack at it. But I was like, you're dude, you need a break. And so I, <laughs> and if it takes four no. years, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he, he got the hard drives and like it, you know, it took, it was a, it was also a, like a long process for him to crack into it too. But he had, um, when he kind of locked, locked in and I remember sitting, sitting, um, I was actually at South by with Jeff Johnson and, um, uh, my friend James Joyner and we were doing a little book release at the Patagonia store during South by or whatever. And Ben sent me a, finally sent me an edit like i was had been waiting for so long and had nothing and he how long is so much weeks months 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 <laughs> yeah not to throw he anybody in under isolation. the bus here it's creative yeah, work it like takes time six months probably like total um that he had it and um he's like find a quiet place put on some headphones and i was in a in a uber or something and just like i um remember just like my phone was soaked within the first minute I had this was like bawling and I was like because I was expecting fully like I just felt like there's no way anyone could tell that story in a way that was going to convey my emotion and feeling for that dog because he'd been with me from age 24 to 39 you know it was a very formative part of you know growing up and being you know just like coming into my creative self and also growing up and being a human being you know and um when I saw that first cut I was like this he he unlocked something and showing it to jeff and james later they were just both fully in tears i was like whoa there's something here that touched touched a nerve and so it was really special to have that um and then 
like the like I said before, the first day it came out was just my friend sharing it, and then I woke up the next day to my phone exploding from news outlets from all over the world, and even Oprah shared it later. And you know, just it's kind of it's been a wild ride, I guess. Um, and just really what I've realized with that is like when you can be vulnerable, when you can share the hard stuff, when you can um, find a way to make your work relatable, um, it will it will reach people. Um, and it wasn't like some major news outlet that broke it. It was like a bunch of smaller little blogs, you know, it was just like just people sharing it amongst themselves. So, yeah, I remember I got it that first morning as well as a part of uh, us being in the same community. And, um, it brought me back to some mutual friends that we had that, uh, crossing paths in central Oregon. There is an action sports photographer. I was, you know, down at bachelor and bend and Smith and all those places a lot for a lot of commercial jobs. And, um, was vaguely familiar with your work then that just like brought it all back. Um, you know, and it's like that, that in the particular lies the universal, right? You told a very personal story about your own, um, experience with cancer and then flipping the script through, um, Denali's eyes. What, you know, you put that film out there, you said a couple of times you had a few edits. Is there something that changed in you that made it possible for you to go there? Or was it having another set of eyes and that other editor? Like where, where did the possibility and the willingness to be vulnerable, where did that come from? I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was just, I, I suddenly just realized that I, I had to go there. Like I, it was, it needed to, you know, I, I couldn't hold back anymore. Um, I don't honestly remember that distinct moment, but I just remember telling um, my friend Katie Klingsborn, she's the one who like did the interview to like kind of get all the information for Ben to write the uh, narration for it. And I just remember telling him and, and, and Katie both, I was like, my story is wide open, just go wherever you need to. And, you know, the first time some of the, you know, more, humorous moments in the film are like some of the most personal at the same time too. And, um, I learned that later on too, that, you know, I, we kind of like jokingly shared about having a colostomy bag in the, in the film, um, with a joke about, you know, having to pick up my dog's poop and put it in plastic bags or whatever, which is like a really genius way of telling that story. Um, but I had never really shared that with the greater public. And I remember sharing a post on Instagram a couple of years later. Um, just, I had lost a few friends, close friends, um, to colon cancer. And I mean, I think now I've lost a total of five friends to colon cancer and, you know, three or four of them have been under the age of 40. And it's just like, you know, doctors consider that over 50 disease. And I was just frankly, just kind of fed up. And I, I was like, I need to share something publicly about this. And I posted a, shot of me you know with my shirt off that showed a showed that i was wearing had a bag and just kind of more of a psa being like hey listen like if you have any of these symptoms don't take no for an answer go to your doctor um you need to get checked out and i was terrified to share that almost as terrified as the film and it by far like exponentially was the most engaged photo i've ever shared like still to this day um and the amount of feedback I got from that and realizing that it's okay to be vulnerable. Like it's really important to share things that are, um, that you feel you need to share. Um, and that really helped me finish the book too. I mean, it was like remembering all the 
friends I had lost to that disease and like realizing how much my dog had helped me through those experiences. Like it, it made it a lot easier to, you know, tackle something that was quite frankly, one of the most daunting experiences, like, you know, writing, writing is you don't get all the other tricks, you know, you don't get the pretty photos. Um, you gotta just say it. Yeah. There's no hand waving, right. You gotta like put it words on paper because you're not going to be there to walk people through it. And, uh, you can't, you know, wave a pretty picture in front of someone's face. Let's, um, pull on that thread a little bit. So first of all, thanks again for sharing the, I think that vulnerability, there's just such a powerful message, um, that, the best stuff in life is the stuff that is the scariest and is the, it's also the stuff that brings us together and helps connect us in a way that we realize that we're all human. I we live in this world where we can put one image up on a bulletin board or a, you know, a conceptual digital bulletin board with our social feeds. And then we're feeling and experiencing something entirely different. And when you flip that script as you did with that post, um, it's, just a great testament and a reminder that we are all human. Um, keep going on that thread about you know moving into the book. I don't know. I don't know how the the story of how that came to be relative from the the short film. The, again, the film. I want to direct people to take a peek at it um, when we finish with the broadcast here. I think it's like seven and a half minutes long. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, seven eight minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, and <laughs> I think the, the the version that's on Vimeo is beautiful and. It's where I first saw it, I think, when you posted it there, however many, uh, five or six years ago now. Um, so yeah. I'd direct people to go check it out. If you type in Denali Ben Moon and uh, Vimeo, it'll come up for sure. Um, but what was the, the the shifting gears from doing the that short film that made its you know way around the world, as you said, uh, to translating it into a book? Um, I, I there was a distinct moment. Um. It's, it's ironic, like a couple of the moments I remember most about sharing that film were on my back porch in Portland when I was living there. Um, I remember waking up to my phone exploding there <laughs> with all the news outlets calling. But I also remember after all that was sort of dying down, I was a little bit at a loss of what to where to go next because there'd been all this attention suddenly on my story. And I, I, it was frankly being, you know, a really sensitive individual. Like it was, it was overwhelming to have, you know, tens of thousands of messages coming in, um, everybody sharing their stories and, um, a lot of, you know, the sharks were circling, so to speak, like people wanted to tap into that story and cash in on it. And I just didn't know what to do. And I talked to my friend, Shannon, um, Astrid, she's a, a producer I work with a lot now and she worked with uh, Jimmy Chin and, um, over the years a lot and a lot of my friends. And, um, she said, Ben, you know, before you, like offer to tell your story in any other way, I, I highly suggest you put it down on paper yourself. Like just, just, and, and I just, that stuck with me. And, um, but I had no idea really where to go with that. Um, and the only person I knew in the outdoor space who was a published author, you know, in any greater realm was, uh, John Krakauer. Um, you know, we'd met at a, yeah. Maybe, I mean, I remember used to just like digesting all his books, the end of thin air and into the wild. And, um, just, you know, I, back in the day, like those, you know, when I was getting into climbing, those were huge influences on me. And, um, he, he was kind enough to, you know, chat with me for an hour and just like, um, 
kind of said, Hey, you know, if you have any inkling of writing, now's a good time. And, um, he sent me to his editor, um, who was also the editor of outside and men's journal for a long time, uh, Mark Bryant. And Mark took me under his wing and helped me find his, you know, the representation and helped me find, just find my voice. And he, I hired him to help me walk through the proposal process. And, um, Tommy Caldwell had the same book agent and he like helped you know, showed me what he had done for his proposal for the Don Wall book um, push. Um, and really those, you know, John and Mark both just helped me immensely. And then obviously um, once, once um, the proposal was done, which took about a year and a half, like to finish that, um, you know, we had to do all the pitch calls and everything. And I remember talking to my editor that I have now, um, Patrick Nolan from Penguin and he just, he was really interested in my story. A lot of people wanted me to spin it into another cute dog book, you know, um, they wanted it into Nolly's voice. And I was just like, I had no desire to write a, you know, it's been done well, you know? Yeah. yeah it's a risky <laughs> proposition to speak for a yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's done. It's been, you know, Art of Racing in the Rain or like Marley and Mia. There's been a lot of like cute books like that, but they're novels, you know, they're not, it's not like a real book. And I was like, and the only way I want to do this, if I can get real with my story and talk about things that are really important to me. And, and I'm so grateful for that. Patrick was, he, he wanted the real stuff, you know? And, and, and so that, you know, book writing is a team, you know, there's, there were so many people involved and um, my friend Alexis, who I'd done a story on about her dog and battling mental illness and stuff. Like she ended up being kind of my interim editor. Um, and it was great to have someone that I could kind of be in the trenches with and help get through the tough sections and have someone to bounce ideas off of that. I was just like, is this too personal? Is this going too far? Like, how do I, how do I get through this? And um, so it was, it was a four year journey to get the book, you know, done. And so it wasn't like, you know, it's a, it's a brief, brief, you know, I think the audiobook when I read it took about seven hours. Um, so it's not like a massive book, but the amount of time it took to put that all together was, um, it was omnipresent in my mind for four years. So it feels really cathartic to finally have it out in the world. Well, it's a stunning book. And again, for anyone who has not had it, I've already steered it to the film. Um, but you know, Denali, a man, a dog and the friendship of a lifetime, obviously available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, um, and, you know, being in the world that we're in right now, um, getting that, uh, Kindle delivered right to your electronic doorstep, if you will. So, you know, that, that's um, always an option. Uh, just to retrace a step here, it sounds you, you mentioned several people that writing a book is a team sport. And, you know, I think that about every aspect of my career and, and how important community has been. Um, but in your words, what, what, has, what role has mentorship played in your ability and how did you seek those men those mentors and um and is there do you have any advice for how others might seek them for themselves i you know i what i found is that um well there's a conrad anchor said once i mean um you know you don't find your mentors they find you and um really one of the first mentors i had i mean i had a few i mean uh, my friend Brooke at Patagonia or at, at Metolius, um, where when I was working there and living in the parking lot, um, he kind of saw something in me, but also it was, you know, Jane at Patagonia. I mean, she's Jane she's, Sievert, Jane, Jane Sievert, man. She's responsible for so many people's careers, <laughs> you Such know, a, just yeah. seeing something. 
in the rough, rough, rough edges of what I was doing, you know, and just um, encouraging that and just gently encouraging that. And she's still one of my dearest friends. And I mean, she was the photo editor for 30 plus years at Patagonia. Um, yeah, I haven't talked to her in a while. The next time you, you see her, please say hi. She's an well, amazing yeah. spirit, man. Yeah, she's holed up in Northern California in her on her property. She's got a great scene going on there. Um, but yeah, it, and you know, and I also think back to even climbing. You know, um, speaking of Conrad, I was on a trip. I was just working at a gear shop in Michigan, this uh, little outdoor store in near the beach um, called Earth's Edge, um, where I first kind of saw. You know, I caught my first waves in that zone, and and. Um, but I remember I was on a, uh, whatever, a dealer camp trip to the Red River Gorge and Conrad was there and I was just losing my mind because, you know, he was one of my heroes and I had photo posters of him up in my little apartment and um, he just was really encouraging and helped me get, you know, push my limits in, in climbing. And and then later, a couple of years later, my friend Sonny Trotter, who's a, been a climber for Patagonia for a long time, um, I met him when he was like 19 years old and I was literally in the Smith Rock um, campground reading a, uh, how to shoot climbing photos book by Jeff Ackie. Um, and so we were kind of just both groms just figuring it out. And I had my camera and I was just, just trying to learn how to use it. And, um, but I was on a climb during that trip and, you know, I was breaking and I was like a, my first five thirteen or something. And I was on it and on top rope. And I just remember him offering one little word of encouragement and, and it, I was going through like all the challenging times back then and, uh, with just life, life changes. And it was having, having that little gentle nudge and, you know, like, like going back to Jane, like, you know, just her being like, Hey, like, you know, I really love that photo you sent or there's, there's little kind words that you don't realize how much of a ripple effect those are going to have on someone's life. And so, um, I try to remember that every time someone writes or, you know, ask a question just to take a little bit of time, just five minutes can really help someone get through something. And so, um, yeah, that's mentorship, man. It's like, it comes in so many forms and a lot of times we either, it takes us some time to realize that we're being mentored or that we're in a position to offer that word that you mentioned. And, you know, it's like, if we could just raise the awareness of that, that, that is the thing that, you know, it's squashed many a career and, and it's kept so many people to, you know, continue whatever journey they're on and, you know, give them a little bit of energy and encouragement to keep moving forward. Um, it's clear that, that mentorship played, you know, you, you just in that five minutes talked about, you know, climbing and photography and writing the book and submitting photos and, um, is there, is there a way that you have found that you can be particularly effective you personally as a mentor to others? I mean, aside from writing a book and doing, you know, creating art, your films and whatnot, um, anything for, for people who are like unlikely mentors themselves, what, what, what advice would you give? Um, you know, I think in looking at, you know, to the generations that have, are still inspiring me, you know, I'm on the Sony team and a lot, they, they gather a lot of people together, um, at these events every year. And it's been interesting to look up to the older, you know, uh, kind of photo legends, you know, like David Burnett and guys like that. And, and one thing that's just like, um, 
especially David, he's just, you know, the guy was shooting photos of Bob Marley back in the seventies and, you know, some of these iconic like press photos and he's like a little kid. He's so curious. And, and I think what he, he just takes the time to listen and chat and be curiosity and the ability to listen, I feel like, um, and not just having that ego barrier that it's so easy to put up or just be like, Oh, I don't want to like, I've, I've moved past that phase in my life. I don't want to like, remember that. Um, it's important to just, we're all learning or, you know, if you're, if you stop growing and you think you've made it, like your fall is going to be precipitous, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's, um, it's the best thing to do is to constantly reinvent. And, you know, you know, you and I have gone through it in our careers. Like we've seen it shift from, you know, film to digital to, to motion to social media like and a lot of people are like i don't want to change and they just drop off you know you need to figure out ways of pushing yourself and reinventing yourself and and remember that you know someone asking you a question you know like being kind and answering and listening to them is going to change their lives and could really make a difference and and they could end up being your mentor someday so don't blow them off you know? <laughs> that's right you never know right the tide will turn um, and it's, I think that's so true. There's just the kindness on underscore that point. That's something that rings really, really true for me. Even if you don't have time to help someone being kind and giving them a very simple, kind word, like that one word that you got from, uh, somebody on a climbing wall at your first 513, like, you know, whether that person knows it or not, like that was clearly super impactful. Um, it would probably be an understatement to say another thing that has had a huge impact in your life is um, surviving cancer. Uh, I'm wondering if you can, you know, walk us through some of the, um, your, your experience there and how it changed and maybe provided guidance or, or hurdles or uh, what effect it had on you. Um, I think it was both, you know, physically and, um, emotionally and, and, and creatively. I mean, it was, it was all those things, you know, I realized, um, you know, I was kind of, I was in my late twenties, you know, you know, climbing hard and just focusing on, you know, for all intents and purposes, pretty selfish pursuits. You know, it's just my career was just getting going, you know, I was enjoying life on the road. Um, and, you know, suddenly having that physical ability stripped away where you, you know, you didn't know if you're going to, you know, make it through the week or, you know, if this disease was going to take me, it, it, it was a real, um, real shift um, to have that happen. And then, it, but it also, it made me realize, you know, when you're stripped of all your physical abilities, what really matters is, you know, the people we care about, um, those that we're connected to, the, those you love and, and, you know, a little word or a kind, just even a kind thought can make all the difference. And, um, in my work, it was like, I was folk, more enamored with, you know, the athletic accomplishments and the, you know, at, more, you know, bigger climbs, higher grades, you know, bigger waves, all those things that were, I just wanted to like keep pushing myself visually, you know, kind of the Red Bull mindset, whatever. But I, I, it really made me realize when I couldn't, my work for that year, because I was on chemo and radiation, I just had no creative mojo at all. I was just flattened. Um, it, it started shifting me into wanting to shoot other things. And really interested me in like human emotion and connection and storytelling. And, um, I mean, that impact like has been profound, you know, it it didn't happen immediately. Um, it shifted my work from being the fly on the wall to being okay with shooting portraiture and like, 
you know, and, you know, I have a face, a project where I just kind of do this up close black and white portraits with uh, people with the same lens, similar quality of light. And I realized that there could be just as much challenge in shooting that photo as there would be in, you know, being up on El Cap or, you know, out in huge waves um, shooting, you know, with an athlete. Um, I realized that that vulnerability and that moment of connection was just super profound. Um, so, yeah, it had, I mean, it had ramifications on my entire life. And it's like, I, I realized, I feel like I'm trying to remember that in this time too. It's like that, that was the most single-handedly one of the most challenging experiences of my life but yet it had the most positive change come from it and you know i'm just glad i'm still here and trying to appreciate every day so we've got anita and kim and there's not a dry eye in the comments right now um both with your story that you're sharing right now and some folks have snuck off and watched the denali film and um christine scott kim nano just um giving you a shout out from all over the world. Liz says she appreciates us and sharing the story, Ben. Um, I think it's, it's um, just the thing that you said there, like you're grateful that you're here and there's something that's so profound. Um, how do we live in it's, it's in these moments where we're tested, these huge moments, whether it's COVID and the sort of the, the huge negative fallout, not just the the economic, but lives are literally being lost. And for you, for example, with battling cancer and um, and living with your dog who also passed from cancer, um, you know what? It's obvious in those moments that we are able to like take stock. And and I'm wondering though, is there are there aspects or the things that we should be doing or can be paying attention to that we don't require these sledgehammers that some come crashing through our worlds? Um, do you have any, any advice for how to have that attitude or that lens on life on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot this winter before all this, um, new, these new challenges came about, um, you know, just, writing a book at the same time I was building my first home, um, was two, were two very giant projects to take, you know, they both seemed impossible. Um, and, and learning how to take those one day at a time, but in the midst of all that overwhelm and just like things were going well, you know, I had a book deal. I was building a house. Like those are great things. Like, you know, and like really life, life goals, but I was feeling just crushed by the anxiety and overwhelm of like, you know, can I do this? Like the doubts and the fears. Um, and the one thing that really sustained me through that is just to focus on, um, just focusing on the, what I could control, which is a, being grateful for what I had, you know, what I had in each moment. And, you know, it, it's, you know, there's ways of doing that, whether it's just journaling or meditation or just, you know, taking a few deep breaths and thinking about the people you appreciate that day or those that have done something for you or a moment in that day where that have really that one positive moment in your day. If you can just focus on that feeling, um, somebody told me or somebody quoted, um, I'm trying to think of who it was, maybe Pete McBride or somebody said in one of his posts recently that was like, um, worry is praying for the wrong things to happen. You know, like you don't want to focus on, um, the negative, you know, you want to try to, focus on what you can control and the people you can be kind to and people you can love. And so 
man. Um, well, what's next? How much you got left on the house there? <laughs> uh, all the inside. All the inside, so, right? Yeah, oh, it's all, all the stuff you don't see, all the stuff you cover up. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, I, I built the place, you know, it's, I've lived in a lot of smaller houses and I built it as a place to kind of be a creative hub. Um, there, I have a studio and a, a place to share. And I, you know, there's a lot of people traveling through this area. It's a really popular uh, beach destination. And, um, I just wanted it to be a place I could give back and a place I could, you know, form community and like, you know, have a lot of my friends write music and like to have them be able to come here and, you know, write an album or like write, you know, write a book or whatever. I just want to provide that space for people to come and um, just foster creativity and community. And it's really special to already see that happening. Even just like um, it's a place where people just stop by, you know, and a lot of people have, that I know from the North shore compared to Hawaii, how it's like a smaller, you know, there's just like a smaller community here. So people feel okay. Just popping in. Whereas when I was in the city, you know, you know, you always want to meet at a, you know, a show or, you know, go out for drinks or whatever. And it's just like, it kind of becomes like less of a intimate moment. Whereas like, you know, being able to have people come out here and go for a wander and see the beauty that is this, this area, like the conversations, like the depth of them is just, it's really special. So amazing amazing to be able to provide that um so next is presumably finishing the house um is there a next next do you you have something creative beyond the uh drywall and the (laughs) the furnishings that i know go into a house having uh Um, you know it's like it's like i'm trying to really lean into the beauty of like not knowing what's next you know i've been working a lot with this um electric uh, vehicle company called rivian that um his is kind of launching this they mean this went you know more into the public eye this past year with a lot of things but they're they're a really incredible company to work with they're wanting to create positive change and do a lot of storytelling and so they brought me on as a as a, a creative and as an ambassador this past year and so there's a lot of kind of fun stuff in the works with them and that I'm really excited about. Um, Jeff Johnson, the writer and um, star of 180 South and uh, now director and photographer. He, you know, he used to be the staff photographer for Patagonia, lived on the North Shore. And um, he directed a little piece for them about my story. I think that comes out really soon. Um, And so there's just a lot of, it's, I don't know. I just, I love having a little bit of a moment to take a breath. Um, Obviously this is, you know, I'm trying to appreciate that right now in these times that, that this quiet time is really valuable. And, you know, so, um, I'm excited for what's next. I just want to tell, I mean, I, I, people always ask me like, what's your business plan? Well, how do you get to where you are? It's like, I just want to work with people that inspire me, people that lift me up and, and tell great stories. You know, it's like, it's, I don't, I don't always know what those are. It's always just, you kind of got to, something lights you up, you go towards it. So. I think that's uh, amazing advice. And there's this, there's some concept out there that maybe culturally we've planted the seed or that you have some master plan. And it's only when you have the master plan that you start sort of walking to it. And I don't know anyone who's really had that plan or if they have had a plan, that plan hasn't changed a lot, but all of it started with just walking in that direction, you know, that, the you know whether the the path you said i talk about it in creative calling as this calling like you don't know what it is but you're you just know which direction it's coming from and if you start walking that direction i also really appreciate the um 
finding a little solace in this crazy world moment where, um, you know, what's, what is the, in, in, amidst so much tragedy, what is the upside of, um, of, you know, simplification of maybe not necessarily isolation. I'm trying to invoke the concept of, you know, physical distance, but social connection. Like there's so many ways to think about the upside in a world where we're constantly being bombarded with the downside. So thank you for saying that and for sharing. Um, again, just a reminder, we've got people listening from all over the world, uh, you know, shouting out Dana and Sean and Kim, um, Liz, just saying thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I just have one last question and it's a simple one, but uh, it, I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about how you view um, your past. Would you change anything? You've been, you've shared a, a bunch of like both gut-wrenching and heartwarming stories. Um, are you saddled with any regrets or, or um, what advice would you have for looking at your past and how it relates to your future? I mean, if I could tell anything to my younger self, I'd just be like, don't, don't worry so much about what everybody else thinks. Like, you know, try to, um, just, just not, don't sweat the small stuff and, and look at the big picture. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the why me, um, challenge, you know, of, of challenges. And just remember that, um, just to focus on the, the good and the things you can control. Um, I mean, and, and I'm, my personality is, I mean, we could, that's a whole nother topic, but it's like, I'm definitely an inner thinker. I like think about things endlessly. And, you know, when someone's like, how did the world, did you just, how did the world did you just come up with this idea or this, you know, make this happen? It's like, well, you, I think about stuff a lot inside and I can, can overthink things. But one thing I have to remind myself is that, you know, you, a master plan is open for interpretation. I mean, my best photographs, my best films have always been when things take a twist um you're shooting one direction you turn around and there's the light is so much better behind you or you just listen to the person you're working with and they're like what how about this idea and so i like try to make a plan but then also leave like I, I like to have an outline and then leave room for that like those moments where you can take those little side roads those side paths those little side trips that um really lead you to the the beauty in life and so I think it's, it's good to remember that, you know, take the leap, but know that it's not going to always be clear right away. And, and to just, just trust that those little voices and those little sparks, like they'll lead somewhere good. And so, um, don't over plan. I mean, I definitely have that, you know, those tendencies and it's so easy to want to know what's going to happen, but moments like this in our lives, we, we just remember that we really any illusion of control we have is is just that it's an illusion so yeah um, i don't know a lot of people that were planning on a global pandemic <laughs> like, you know it's like how do you even conceptualize that that you know when you're in all of the doomsday planning or for your business or if you're a creator entrepreneur you can solve for so many things and i don't know a bunch of people that had a big contingency plan for something so you know we're we are you know vulnerable life is fragile um but thank you so much for sharing your story. And in particular, because of, I guess of its recency, just came out um, a handful of weeks ago, your new book, Denali, A Man, A Dog, and The Friendship of a Lifetime. Um, what's the best place for people to follow you 
on the internet. I, I'm guessing you're at Ben Moon. Um, but where else would you steer people, Ben? Um, yeah, on Instagram, I'm at Ben underscore Moon, Twitter, Ben Moon. Um, yeah, and, uh, my website's benmoon.com. And feel free to you know, hit me up. Um, yeah, you're going to have a whole book. bunch of people wanting to stay at your pad. <laughs> you're going to have an artistic uh, commune out there at your pad in Oregon pretty soon here. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, come say hi. Um, yeah, I just thank you so much, Chase. It's, it's great to have this conversation. And thanks for going to, going to the deeper places that matter. So, so, so that's, that's, that's where. Man, I appreciate you and your work. And, um, Again, we've been in the same circle for a long time. We've got a lot of respect for you and what you've, what you've done. And thanks for sharing that with uh, a lot of people on the internet. I know that can be vulnerable, but um, you've just added a lot of value, given us all a lot, of, lot to think about. And, um, you know, my, my heart and my gratitude is 11 out of a 10. And thanks so much for being on the show, man. I really, really genuinely appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Jace. Likewise. Thanks for sharing these stories that matter these times. So appreciate it. Happy to do it, bud. Thanks again. And for those folks at home, thanks again for uh, tuning in. Please you know, give Ben a shout out. Go check out his film, uh, Denali. And of course, pick up the book. Both are stunners. The, the film will only take seven minutes. Um, I'll maybe see if I can get permission from Ben to share that um, on the Creative Live TV, which is um, if you're just tuning in now at creativelive.com slash TV, we're bringing live broadcasts from people in our community all over the world. You know, I'm sitting down here in my basement. Ben is in his uh, van on the Oregon coast. Um, and we've got uh, musical performances. We've got spoken word poetry. We've got cooking stuff all coming along to try and um, not just teach you as we do at Creative Live, but also to inspire and entertain you with uh, what's going on in this crazy COVID era. So um, signing off. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Thanks again, Ben, and we will see you again on the next show. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly... It would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here. Whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds, tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.